Today, we're talking to an Amazon seller who specializes in the wholesale method of selling on Amazon. And this has been so lucrative for him, he even made his first million dollars before he turned 18. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Did you know that just because you have a keyword in your listing, that does not mean that you are automatically guaranteed to be searchable, or as we say, indexed for that keyword. Well, how can you know what you are indexed for and not? You can actually use Helium 10's index checker to check any keywords you want. For more information, go to h10.me forward slash index checker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon world. We've got a serious Amazon seller here. Kenzo, how's it going? I'm doing great. And yourself? I'm doing just delightful. Now, this is actually not the first time you've been on the podcast. Uh, you were just hanging out with uh, Melissa, I believe it was, and, and we were recording her on the podcast, and you were... You were cool enough to, to join, but we didn't get enough, you know, too much of your, your backstory on that episode. So I thought I'd invite you back by yourself here so we can get the full Kenzo uh, story here. So um, you started on e-commerce when you were when you were like early on in, in high school, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been like in that entrepreneurial mindset, always trying to do anything to make an extra dollar or two. Uh, but I actually started by selling on eBay, right? So I was, I was actually in the whole reselling shoe market for a little while. Uh, realized it wasn't, you know, consistent. You couldn't always get the hottest sneakers. Um, and that's what made the whole market. And then I got into drop shipping on eBay. Now, this was definitely a great intro for people that don't have capital to leverage. You don't need to buy the products until after it's sold. But it got to a point where I was working about 18 hours a day, 16 to 18 hours a day. And I had this very strict schedule and I was just thinking to myself for literally a week straight, 4 a.m. every single day when I'm packaging my orders. I'm like, how do I scale this business? Like, I can't just create more hours in the day. And when one of my friends actually introduced me to Amazon FBA and they introduced me to the fact that Amazon handles the whole physical side of your business, right? The storage, the picking, the prep, the packaging, the whole nine yards, that was the breakthrough I really needed. That was the information I needed because I couldn't just make more hours in the day. I couldn't scale my business past what it was currently doing. And once I found out that all I needed to do was leverage vendors, which I already started building relationships with and leverage the capital I had already built up doing, you know, manually fulfilling my wholesale orders on eBay uh, is the transition I really needed. And the rest is really history. I mean, now we're here, we have three warehouses in the U S and we're growing. Cool. Cool. So um how did it work with your eBay? Like what exactly, I mean, I mean, people understand what eBay is. People understand what drop shipping is, but, but like what were you, you, you doing retail, you know, like just doing it, drop shipping from retail websites. Basically there were three stages of my eBay venture, right? There was the first stage where I was flipping the, the high desirable sneakers, the Jordans, the Yeezys, so on and so forth. Then I transitioned into drop shipping, right? So I'm taking products from, you know, Dick Sporting Goods, Home Depot, this website, that website, and I'm listing it on eBay for a higher price and I'm leveraging keywording and things that people are searching in eBay to find these items. And let's say something selling for $10 at Walmart, I'll list it for $12.50 on eBay and then I'll make my margin there, right? So the customer will buy it from me. I'll go to walmart.com. I'll check out as the customer. 
with all their personal information and Walmart will ship the item directly to them. And then I would keep that small margin in between. Now, I did this for a little while, but I realized you couldn't make a living off this in reality unless you had like a crazy VA team because the margins you're making are so slim because you're already buying it for a retail price and you're selling it for over market value, which you could only sell so many units doing yeah. that method. So then I was like, okay, well, I know what wholesale is. I know that people buy things in bulk and that's how I need to increase my margins. So I actually had a connection to a regional manager for this cosmetics company. And I was actually able to start purchasing items in bulk from them. And I used my, my room as my little warehouse. I was buying all these master case packs and I was just fulfilling individual orders on eBay, but I was starting to- How, how them, old right? were you, by the way? What, what, what uh, were you talking about? I was 15 when I started I drop shipping. And then right as I turned 16 is like right when I made the transition to uh, wholesale. That's awesome. So, so then you said you built up some capital because you know when when we talk about bulk orders, obviously you got to drop some cash there. So, correct. You, know, you built it, it up through. Like, the, uh -huh. <laughs> don't get me wrong; it's not it's not the type of bulk orders that you and I are doing today. But yeah, uh, you know, it, it was you know the the thousand dollars here, the five hundred dollars there, um, and I just I really played with that, um, and it was just it was it was a whole process of, of building it up because like okay, you make a like let's say you invest a thousand dollars, right, and you make a twenty percent ROI, so you profit two hundred dollars. Okay, well now that two hundred dollars. I want to go ahead and buy a label printer now instead of me using a regular inkjet printer and like having to tape on each regular piece of paper label. So like I was I was investing this money, but the profits literally just went straight back into the business and, and making my workflow more productive. So I didn't really build up like an actual good rolling bankroll um, until like maybe I'd say six months or a year later. Um, and that's that's like kind of when I made the transition over into Amazon. Um, I hopped into Amazon with only $7,500. Now, that's probably more than what a lot of people have in their account. But yeah. in retrospect to what we've built things to now, like $7,500 to a few million definitely is not a bad return. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, so then let's just talk about your general method of 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 selling on amazon now which it which is you know people have different words for i think the the term that most people you know like to use is kind of like the the wholesale method but Correct. obviously this is different than private label uh you know people understand 100%. what private label is so so just give us like you know like a two three minute presentation i guess on what wholesale sellers like yourself and those in your community are are doing okay cool so what I'm basically doing is what most people describe as wholesale FBA, right? So we're selling other third-party brands, things that you would see at big box stores like Tide, Clorox, Sharpie, so on and so forth. Big brands that have already have established such a good presence with our daily lives. So they've already spent the millions and millions of dollars on marketing. The demand is already there. All I need to do is work through my vendor network to find products that are in demand and just source them for a cheaper price. So for example, let's say um, a gallon of Clorox bleach is selling for $5 on Amazon. All I need to do is go through my vendor list and figure out who has that product for a price that I need to source it at to be profitable selling it on Amazon. So honestly, I think that this is the best business model for any beginner seller that is interested mm -hmm. in selling on Amazon to hop into just because you don't need to build a brand. You don't need to establish an online presence. You don't need to spend six months of product development, another six months in, you know, marketing and running ads and split testing. The, mm -hmm. the thing is, all you need to do is source the product for a cheaper price than what it's selling for. And as long as you run your analytics correctly, 
the product's already in demand. So right as it hits Amazon, it's going to go ahead and start selling through. Okay. Makes sense. And, and, and it's, it's very true. You know, people worry like, oh man, you know, like how do I build a brand and I need to do my social media and, and I, I need to launch this product. I need to run PPC and stuff. And these are not bad things. Absolutely. If you're in private label, you've, you've got to do these things and we don't want to scare people away and say, oh, these are impossible things to manage. No, hundreds of thousands of sellers do it. But you know, for, for newer you know people, um, if you don't want to have to have to worry about all that, you know, you, you don't have to build a, a, a social media uh, presence in order to sell Nike shoes. I mean, Nike's done that all for you. Now, just to give people an idea about the potential, let's not talk about your, what, you, what you do on sales, but what about some of your students? What kind of gross revenue and then profit, you know, because the profit might be sometimes a little bit less in private, which is fine. But what, what's some of the numbers on some of your best students on, on what, what maybe they gross last year uh, in, in 2020? I mean, so we have we have student we have a, a network of over five hundred students, right? So there's people that got involved with just like a simple course. There's people that took some personalized one on one training, and there's results from people making an extra few hundred dollars a month to people grossing six figures a month, right? So I like just off the top of my head, I could think of Ali, and he came to a class. I believe it was end of 2019, and I remember within the first year, he sent he sent a screenshot into the advanced FBA uh, group chat, and he already hit a million dollars in gross revenue. Now, I'd probably say there's between 10 and 20 students that have already crossed that seven-figure in gross revenue mark, um, and there's probably well over 200, 300 sellers that have you know crossed over that six-figure mark. So it's it, it all depends, really. The numbers produced is depending on two things, and these are the two most important things. Uh, when it comes down to wholesale FBA. The first thing is connections. So as long as you have vendors that can consistently supply you well-selling and profitable products, you're going to win. The second thing needed is as long as you have the capital to back those connections, right? Because you could have someone that could sell you every single amazing product in the world at a super profitable price. If you don't have the money to go ahead and invest, you're not really going to get anywhere. Um, so those are the two things that really will make or break your business. If you don't have the vendors that won't supply you those products that are going to perform well on Amazon, you're not going to get far, even if you have, you know, millions of dollars leverage. So they kind of go hand in hand and you're going to need both of them. But overall, um, you know, students, like I said, they could range from an extra few hundred dollars a month to an extra few thousand to six figures, so on and so forth. Now in talking profit margins, the rule of thumb that I like to teach is not to settle for anything less than a 25% return on investment. Now, this is higher than most dropshipping stores, but it tends to be lower than most private labels. So I'd say the average range of profit margins is going to be between a 25 and 35% return on investment. Okay. Okay. Now, something you mentioned that you, you know, you've got three warehouses now, you know, I've got a, I've got a warehouse, but there might be people out there who think like, wait a minute, you know, like I can't do wholesale. I don't have a warehouse. Talk a little bit about why you, you don't necessarily have to have your own warehouse in order to do this business model on Amazon. Correct. Yeah. And, and I mean, you could, you could speak for that too. I mean, yes, you do have your warehouse, but basically um, what happens is a lot of vendors will actually allow you to leverage their fulfillment center. I mean, their warehouse, and you could actually forward your products directly over from the supplier's warehouse over into an Amazon fulfillment center, because Amazon's handling the whole physical side of your business. They're going to go ahead and their store your products. They're going to pick, pack and ship your products. They're going to handle returns. They're going to handle most of your customer service as well. So you don't need to have a physical location where you need to store these products. A lot of vendors will go ahead and allow you to forward the products over from their facility over directly into Amazon's as well. 
Okay, cool, cool. Now, you, you talked about the importance of finding good vendors, and and that's you know that's obviously you know the, the the key. You can't just you know sit in your house and and expect vendors to come to you and hit you up and say, hey, would you like to sell my products? You know, you you've got to do the work. You know, you don't need to give away all your secret strategies here. But what what's some simple ways that somebody who wants to get into this you know, th- this business model, how can they go out and find a vendor who's willing to play ball? You know, a lot of people, I think, have this idea that, er- you know, any any and every company are already selling on Amazon themselves or, or they've got their whole distribution network in place. So like, how in the world is, can I even find somebody who'd be interested to, to, to sell me products to put on Amazon? 100%. Well, I mean, obviously, the most simple and generic way would just be by using Google, using a search engine searching up, you know, the brand or the type of products you're interested in, whether it's electronics, HBA products, um, it, it, you could leverage Google. It's just about using the right key terms. So something that I would personally search up is, let's say I was looking for a Sharpie wholesaler. Well, the thing is, anybody in the actual wholesale industry would not leverage that term wholesale. It's too broad. The type of people that would actually use that term are like, you know, moms that are looking for a deal for their kids for back to school or, you know, teachers that are trying to buy in bulk for their classes. Something that an actual, you know, seller like myself would search up would be something along the lines of Sharpie authorized distributor or, you know, Sharpie closeout and liquidation. So if you're going to use Google, you definitely want to leverage key terminology around the wholesale trade industry. Um, Another great way to go ahead and find vendors and wholesale suppliers would be to use wholesale directories. Two off the top of my head that I could think of is top10wholesale.com. And then the second one would be wholesalecentral.com. Now, these are platforms that don't supply you products directly. They supply you list of suppliers. So you could open up one of these websites. You could go to their wholesale directory. Let's say I'm looking for office supplies because it's back to school time right about now. I'm going to go and hit office supplies and they'll have a list of vendors and where they're located, who they are, what types of products that they supply directly to their website, and you could go ahead and inquire with them to see what products that they currently have available for you to go ahead and pick up. Okay, cool. That's that's good to know. Now, we're, we've been talking about all the positives and stuff about doing wholesale, but but as everybody knows, no matter what form uh, of selling you're doing on Amazon, private label, wholesale, arbitrage, whatever, there's it's not all rainbows and unicorns. There's a lot of obstacles and things that you got to be, be careful of. So, you know, we don't want to scare people away, but we, we got to show the reality. So what would you say as far as the wholesale model are the biggest pitfalls or things that people should be 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 concerned about or, or be or, or be careful about? Like, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, especially as you're dealing with big brands, is is maybe issues with brand gating or or or, or, or brands who try and send you cease and desist because they don't want you selling on their listing. Or like, what what are what are the I don't know top few things that you think people need to to make sure that they they got their ducks in a row on? Um. So. Basically, the the main thing that I would say is the biggest concern for me is you're not selling your own product. You're selling a third party's brand. So the the biggest thing that I would say is if you do not do your research right, um, the the issue of IP complaints. So essentially, some brands and some distributors will not allow you to sell their products on Amazon if you're not an authorized reseller. So let's say you bought a closeout of some Logitech mice, for example, from, let's say, Via Trading, which is this huge um, liquidation company out here in Southern California. And you went to go sell it on Amazon. Even though the product's 100% authentic, you know, if the brand doesn't recognize you as an authorized seller of the product, they could go ahead and remove you, remove your, you know, your selling privileges for that listing on Amazon. And if you stack up too many of those, your actually your Amazon account could be suspended as well. 
So I'd say IP complaints are definitely the number one issue that I see. Um, another thing is oversaturation. So um, because you have no jurisdiction, you know, over who else is sourcing these products, you know, you come into the issue of, let's say you find a profitable, well-selling product and you're selling it. Well, you know, the thing is there's thousands of other sellers looking for that exact same, you know, margins, those exact same sales per month. And if they find that product, obviously they're going to go ahead and start selling it themselves as well. So, you know, obviously it's accessibility since you don't have, you know, rights to the brand unless you have an exclusive deal. Um, anyone else could hop on the listing same as you. They have the same rights as you and they could go ahead and sell it. And it's, you know, listings could become oversaturated. Uh, and then the last thing, as you mentioned, would be gatings, right? So uh, sometimes it's, it is hard to get approval uh, and submit the correct documentation that Amazon requests um, to sell specific brands and specific categories of products. So for example, if you want to sell topical products, which are things that are applied to the skin or body, um, you know, you need to supply in, an invoice from your distributor. Sometimes those invoices won't work. You'll need to submit, you know, a screenshot from the FDA's website and a bunch of other different paperwork that if you don't have, or you do not have a connection to get, it could be rather troublesome to go ahead and start selling on Amazon. But those, I'd say, would be like the three biggest issues that I, I run into selling on Amazon. But, um, you know, obviously, I believe that the upside is is really, you know, knocks the downside out of the park. Okay, cool, cool. Let, let, let's just go back personal a little bit. Like, when did you really start making it big? Like, was it before you were even 18? Like, like did you make your, did you gross your first million before you even turn 18? Yeah, that was, that was... That one I knocked out of the park. So um, basically, I transitioned over to Amazon FBA with $7,500. I believe I was like 16, right? Uh, I did, I grossed like $20,000 that first month, $25,000 the next. And things just really picked up. I remember uh, the load after that, um, I basically pulled some money from some other places. I like kind of sold like a lot of like personal items. I was also still doing some side hustles and working construction. Um, and basically I remember getting my next load, which I split with someone. I, I put $20,000 up and he put $20,000 up and this was some shampoo and conditioner and that sold, that sold through very well. And it just, it was just a matter of just flipping products, flipping products, flipping products. Now I was killing it on Amazon for, I'd say about a year before I got into the wholesale and distribution side of things as well, because I realized that, Hey, what is one of the biggest issues that you know, is posed as an Amazon wholesale seller, you know, as, you know, a wholesale retailer on Amazon. And the biggest issue was finding vendors that could consistently supply well-selling and profitable products. And I wanted to provide a solution to that marketplace. So I actually started helping, you know, my friends that sold on Amazon as well, source products and, and took a fee. So that also really helped expedite, you know, me grossing my first million is because, you know, I was selling on Amazon, but I was also reaping the benefits of basically becoming a wholesaler broker at the time as well. Um, but yeah, it just it was just a matter of just stacking flip after flip after flip after flip and just multiplying those funds and just not really taking money out until, you know, everything was completely self-sustaining. Yeah. So then, let, let, let I mean, I, I'm assuming 2020 was maybe your most lucrative year yet, like through, through all your own wholesale that you're doing and, and every, you know, your other side hustles and everything, like approximately how much would you say you're your whole company grossed uh, through last year? Last year, oof, it's it's upwards it's upwards of $5 million. 
It's like it's like between six and seven. I don't want to give you a wrong number. Yeah. All right. Now, one thing that you are very passionate about, and I am too, but I just don't have the means to completely yet, is is about cars. So, <laughs> how old were you when you got like your first uh, car that you're like, hey, this wasn't you know this this isn't like my my parents helping me out. This is just my <laughs> car. I paid fully by myself. Uh, so my first like crazy car I'd say was a 2016 McLaren 650s. Um, and I bought that before I even moved down to Los Angeles. I was still living with my parents at the time and I, uh, I bought it and I was seven. How much does a McLaren cost? I bought that for, I negotiated it down to 160,000. Oh, such a deal. (laughs) 16, 17 years old and buying a, a McLaren. I noticed that, you know, cause I follow you on Instagram, you're, you're, you're like, you change cars. Like, you know, like people change pants. Uh, how much, uh, obviously you, you've been selling cars. It's not like you, you have Correct. a garage yeah, yeah, yeah. of 75 no cars, but like how much would you say you've spent on exotic vehicles? Like in the last year and, and then name some of these cars last year. Oh man. Well, it, it is, I'll say it's well over a million dollars. Um, just in the month of May last year, I bought four cars. Um, I got a Porsche GT3 RS, which was the first car I actually put in my name because I was under the age of 18 when I bought my McLaren and my Jaguar. I had to put it under my friend's names. So Mm -hmm. I got my GT3 RS, which I didn't even really want. I just wanted to put a car in my name and start building my credit portfolio. Um, that month I also bought a Porsche Cayman S and I bought that originally for my mom. Uh, ended up taking that one back because she didn't want it. And then I bought a Mercedes SL65 that month. That's the car my mom drives today. Um, and then I also bought my Lamborghini Aventador SV that month as well. So I bought those four cars that month. And that alone was probably $600,000, Um, I bought a Ferrari F12 last year. That was $220,000. I got my RSQ8. That's another $160,000. Um, yeah, I got, I definitely got a lot. I definitely drove a lot of different cars last year, but well, what's your favorite that you've ever had? Oh man, that, that's, that's really an unfair question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I honest to God, I'd probably say my Ferrari. It's a great combination of, of power with comfort with, you know, reliability. Um, it's just, it just looks amazing. Feels amazing overall. It's not like a Lamborghini. The Lamborghini I had was, it looked phenomenal, but driving that thing was, you know, something that I dreaded, right? But first world problems, yeah. right? Now, now, what, how, how do you, you know, how do you do it? Like, like, are you, are you, you know, putting something down and then paying these on payments? Are you leasing them or, or, or do you? So, okay. So there's a few ways that we do. So I bought a few cars. I've leased a few cars personally for my business. Like I, my CPA is, is pretty good. So I'm able to write off a good amount of these, the amount of money I spend on these vehicles. Now, basically I I lease most of them, but the way that with the leasing company that I work with, the down payments that I actually put on these vehicles go towards equity in the vehicle. So whenever I actually get out of these cars, I end up actually getting money back. So I get the write off, but I also get money back. It does not make sense for anyone in the world to own an exotic car unless you're either making millions and millions of dollars or you're someone like me and you make money off your social media presence and your excuse is, you know, I'm, I'm buying these vehicles for marketing, which they do attract a lot of attention to me, 
my brand, which results in obviously me, you know, promoting my educational company mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of selling on Amazon. So that's the only reason I'm ever able to justify buying these vehicles, because if you're selling on Amazon, just selling on Amazon and you're buying, you know, exotic car after exotic car, I mean, it's not really doing anything for your business. When I go and, and put a hundred thousand dollar down payment on a Ferrari and I'll go ahead and I'll promote, you know, two seminars, three seminars and I'll make twenty, thirty thousand dollars each one you know, okay, I get that write off and I get to, you know, drive that car and I get to produce more money. So, you know, unless you're making money off the marketing with it, it it really doesn't make sense for anyone to own an exotic car. They're absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys out there, you know, I, I, I've been saying this for years, you know, like there's no right or wrong goal to have when you're selling on Amazon. Some people want it for a, a college fund. Some people want to make a thousand dollars a month extra just for, some vacation funds. Uh, and then some people want to, Hey, they want to get the Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, and, and things like that. There's, you know, like, don't let, w- w- regardless of which category you fall into, you know, don't let somebody hate on, hate on your goals. But, but just like Kenzo, you know, here, here's Kenzo who, who actually does get into the exotic cars, but, but he's telling you guys, you know, if you're, if you're just selling on Amazon um, and you want to do that, you know, that's fine. But, you know, try and do it. If it means something else, like, you know, Kenzo has a huge social media following and, and, and he does a lot of ads and stuff, and, and it definitely gets people's uh, attention out there. So, so just regardless of what your goals are, make sure that it, you live within your means. You know, like, no, like if you're if you're making a right, if you're making like a hundred thousand dollars a year on Amazon, <laughs> probably shouldn't be going out and buying um, no, uh, no you know, way. No Porsches way. and 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 Ferraris and stuff like that. So, uh, so just live within your means. All right, let's go back to some more some more uh, strategy now. How do you get around some of this? Um, these all these crazy inventory restrictions. Last year, there was that limitation for if it's the first time you're adding a product, like you can only do 200. (laughs) And then now that's changed this year for certain sizes have like restrictions. So like, how are you and your students getting around this? It's it's honest to God, like I've been structuring my buying uh, around those regulations. So the the thing that changed the most was instead of buying 4,000 units of one SKU, it'd be, you know, 400 of this skew, 400 of that skew, 400 of that skew. So I basically changed my rules of buying to fit it more. Um, like I just, I remember back in the good old days where you were just able to buy 2000 units of this and send it all in at once. But, um, you know, basically the way that I changed, I just changed my rules of buying. We're buying a lot of more different skews, a lot of more different categories. Um, but also we are leveraging multiple stores, right? So right now I'm currently managing 13 stores, um, with the help of my team. And so we're able to go ahead and break apart, you know, the 2000 unit PO there, the 3000 unit PO there into the different stores. So we never really run into that, um, inventory limitation issue, but we still are posed the issue of since you're not able to send in, you know, more than X amount the cost of transit to Amazon is still pretty high. So we have to be very strict on our, our rules of buying just to make sure that our profit margin is still going to be where we want to be after including that that freight cost of getting it into Amazon. Um, another thing too is we've actually been having to store a lot more products on hand. Our turnaround time, you know, last year and, and the year before was a lot quicker than what it is now just because we go ahead and right as we receive everything, prep it, get it all sent out to Amazon have Amazon store absolutely everything. But now since we are limited, you know, we, we can only send in maybe 20, 30, 40% of that SKU that we currently have available if, you know, all the capital is allocated on the other stores. So we'll have to go ahead and store the products in our warehouse. And that's when, you know, obviously 
a warehouse really comes into, you know, effect. Okay. Now let's say, you know, I, we're going to talk in a little bit about how, how you actually provide uh, inventory sometimes for your students to go ahead and purchase that, that, you know, you can get it for cheap and then you, you can flip it to, to the students who can then flip it on Amazon. But if we're talking about that, or if we're talking about somebody has found their own supplier uh, or their own vendor, let's talk about how to look at like the helium 10 tools, uh, okay. you know, in order to find out like, Hey, should I get in this? So what are the metrics that you're, you, you know, using, uh, you know, are you looking at the BSR history? Are you looking at the price history? What are things that people need to be looking at uh, when they're on an Amazon page and trying to decide, should I pull the trigger uh, on this bulk purchase? I look at absolutely everything. I basically, I use one tool to go ahead and find out how the product is moving. And thanks to Helium 10, we have the luxury of, you know, seeing exactly how products, product sales estimates are. So I'll go ahead, I'll look for the lowest plateau, which I consider a plateau seven days or longer. Uh, mm -hmm. The lowest buy box plateau within the past three months, just to make sure that, hey, I can match this price. I'm still profitable. I'm not losing any money because if it was selling at that price in the past, what's stopping it from dropping to there in the future? Um, I go ahead and I check how many competitors on the listing, how much quantity that they have to see exactly who my true competition is because mm -hmm. there could be 100 sellers on the listing. Doesn't mean that they're all 100 true competitors, right? So I'm going to look yep. for how many sellers are selling it prime as well as myself and they're within 3% of that buy box price. So mm -hmm. that's who I'll consider my true competition. I'll go ahead, I'll divide the amount of monthly sales that I'm finding out from using Helium 10 to figure out what my you know market share is expected to be. Um, so once I figure out that the item you know is selling, I figure out that the item's plateau and make sure it's still profitable at that price. Um, I make sure it's not oversaturated. Um, then from there, basically, I just compare my minimum order quantity to the amount of units that I'm expected to sell monthly to see, okay, well, how much inventory do I want to go ahead and buy? How long is it going to take me to turn over? Is this return on investment worth my money being tied up for X amount of time? Um, and after all that, then I go ahead and I make the executive decision. Is this something I want to put my money into? Yes. Okay, cool. I'm going to submit my purchase order, get my products in, send it into Amazon and go ahead and sell through. Or, you know what? I think my money's better off in another product working with another vendor. I'm going to hold off and see what other, you know, yeah. opportunities are placed in the market. How does it affect your, your decision-making on if Amazon itself is a seller uh, of the product? So there's, there's a lot of people that swear by not competing with Amazon. Um, I personally do not mind it as long as I know I have a, like about a 10% safety net of where I could undercut Amazon and I'd still be profitable. Now you could, you could match Amazon on the buy box and you'll get a sale here and there. You won't really, you know, obviously against Amazon on its own platform, they're going to have an unfair competitive advantage. Um, but you know, if I know that I have like about a 10% safety net, five to 10% safety net, whatever their lowest price was in the past three months. I'll go ahead and I'll still hop on it because I know that the product is still moving. Uh, my, my requirements do get a little bit higher. Like if I see Amazon's on a listing, I'll make sure that the listing is selling more than what I want on my average sales per month. But, you know, I won't shy away from it as long as I know that I have that healthy margin there that will basically help keep me insured. If you're within 3% of the buy box on an Amazon sold product, I mean, I assume you don't always get the, you know, the, the normal rotation no, as far as no if it was way. all private label or, or wholesale, but do you still 
do you do, does Amazon still in some situations give you the buy box? Uh, they won't. They won't give you like a. I don't know how to say this. They won't give you like a, a fair percentage of buy box. Like let's say an item selling a thousand thousand units a month. Like yeah, you'll probably get less than a hundred sales if you're matched in buy box. Like if, if okay. they won't, if they don't need to give a buy box, they won't. Uh, yeah. But obviously, I mean, no one can really speak for how Amazon, you know, manages their their listings rather than Amazon itself. Um, so I'm usually not pretty passive when it comes to selling against Amazon, just because I know they're not going to give up, you know, a decent percentage of the buy box. So I just want to sure. sell through my inventory. So I'm going to just go ahead and I'm going to be testing the waters. I'm going to be lowering my price in 25 cent increments to figure out, okay, at what point is Amazon willing to give up the buy box so I could just sell through my units and, and call it a day. Um, but that's why I need to make sure I have that, you know, 10% okay. margin. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, now, you know, I, I usually don't, don't like to always, you know, try and talk about a service if I haven't tried it or, or, you know, have some kind of firsthand knowledge. So I actually got into your, your program a couple of months ago, um, where, where you provide, you know, list of products that, that we can buy. And I was like, you know what, here's a product uh, I, I want to go ahead and buy. So I, I don't know how much I, I dropped. It was like about five or $6,000. It was some gloves. And I remember the reason I picked it was the brand name was Dre, Dre health. I was like thinking this is Dr. Dre's company or, <laughs> or what's going on here. But I, I bought these gloves. It was like 33 bucks. I saw on Amazon, they were selling at the time for like, like 63, $64. So the profit margin wasn't that great. But the reason I pulled the trigger on this one was I noticed that the, the, the buy box was consistently fulfilled by merchant. Like, like it was just somebody, you know, shipping from, you know, either drop shipping these or drop or, or shipping it from their house. So like the, the shipping date was, was way in advance. So what I did when I launched this guys on Amazon, I, I sent, I obviously said I dropped, I shipped it from Kenzo's warehouse directly to Amazon, which by the way, I've sold millions of dollars on Amazon. I have never done a, um, I actually never have done a, like a, a, a pallet shipment. I always just, you know, send stuff directly from China to to uh to Amazon or I, I just use UPS and stuff, but this was my first ever pallet shipment. So uh <laughs> Kenzo had to hop on a call because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But we got that all worked out and and got to Amazon. I put it at $69 uh to start. And now here's the cool thing. The the buy box still stayed with this other guy at like $63, $64, but I still was getting like five to uh to ten orders a day because Amazon has this new thing where where it says get it faster. And so like, even though this other guy had the buy box, it says that his date was like two weeks to get it. And then there's this big button that said, get it faster with my with my company. And so I was able to, to clear like about 20% profit, even after the Amazon fees and after the shipping and everything on this, uh, because I was able to have the higher price. So guys, this this method does work. Uh, uh, I don't have enough money to, to buy a, a Ferrari, you know, based on this uh, $5,000 <laughs> deal, but got me some nice spending money this month. So how many students do you have in, in that program that, that that I'm doing right now? Well, here, let me open up. Just in my FBA Beginners group chat, and not everyone has joined. I'm not sure why. We have 592 members. Wow. A lot of, so a lot of people are doing this, guys. It, it definitely, uh, it's definitely cool. I, I liked having to, you know, I pulled the trigger on this deal, and then the next day, the, the order was already going to Amazon. You know, when I'm never going to stop doing private label. I'll tell you guys that. You guys know I, I love that stuff. But, you know, I just launched a product last week and I originally developed this like way back in January. It just took this long to actually get it from China and, and stuff. And so I, I, I kind of like this as to kind of uh, keep some good steady cash flow going. And at the time, I actually didn't have the $6,000 in my bank account. 
that I could pay Kenzo. What methods of payment do you accept? And do you remember that one that you recommended to me that I actually already use? The uh, plastic. Yes, plastic. I actually gave that as a as a tip recently. So uh, P-L-A-S-T-I-Q.com, I believe. It allows you to actually kind of pay with a credit card and then it turns it into a wire transfer for a for a small fee. So that's how I was able to pay for this. But anyways, uh, before we get into how people can contact you and stuff, um, we always have this part of the show we call the, the TST or the 30 second tip. So you don't have to say the 30 seconds, but what's a strategy or a, a, a key tip that you think is maybe somewhat unique to you, but it, it's highly actionable. It could be about wholesale. It could be about life hacks. It could be about uh, buying cars. I mean, it could be about anything, but what's a strategy you can give to our, our um, audience out there? You know, basically it just comes down to, you know, vendors. As I say, this is the most important part of the business. Now, I'm going to tell you guys my personal favorite way to find vendors. And honestly, this is the way that's yielded me most of my vendors that I do business with today. And that's actually by leveraging Google Maps. Now, the reason I love Google Maps is because you're able to find vendors not only that are local to you, but you're able to find vendors that are offline. And you got to think about this. Everybody that's selling online, everybody that's in e-commerce, 99% of them, how are they looking for their vendors? They're looking for their vendors online. Well, you're able to find vendors that don't have any online presence, no website. You'll just see an address. You'll see their company name and a phone number using Google Maps. And you don't need to worry about these vendors being oversaturated with online sellers sourcing the exact same products from the exact same vendors as you for the exact same price and just always being at a standstill, you know, competing on all the same listings with all the same sellers. That was an issue I had when I used to work with big box toy distributors like Sheffer, so on and so forth. So leveraging Google Maps just is one of my favorite ways to find vendors because wholesale is one of the oldest you know businesses out there. It's just buy low, sell high. And 90% of the individuals that are super, super, super big in wholesale are older gentlemen. I mean, you, you got to think about it. It's not an attractive business to get into. You're in a dark warehouse, dust and pallets around you. Everybody likes, you know, drop shipping. It's very appealing. Travel wherever you want, you know, be on the beach working on your store, you know, rather than, you know, handling this physical inventory and wholesale. So Google Maps, all you need to do is search up wholesaler in whichever area that you currently reside in or wherever you want to find vendors. And you will be able to pull up a lot of local results that you will not be able to find anywhere else. Now, just another tip, the best four places to find vendors are going to be Miami New York, San Francisco, as well as Los Angeles, just the four biggest ports where all um, inventory is imported in the U.S. But that would be my tip for anybody that's actually trying to get into wholesale FBA. That's really good. I mean, I actually um, tried that. I, I, I didn't do it because I just don't have the time. But I was just curious when I heard about that method from uh, from somebody on your team. I just look locally. You know, like I live in a, a suburb of San Diego. It's called San Marcos. It, most people have probably never even heard of this, this tiny town. And and I was surprised. There was actually like three or four, you know, manufacturers even here locally that, you know, they, they probably maybe aren't on Amazon and, and they're not being, you know, they're, they're not Nike or anything, but um, it would have been, uh, I definitely would have, would have hit them up. So you never know what's in, in your area or you just pick random places on the Google map and, and find wholesalers. So that's a, that's a great tip. Now, if somebody wants to get into your program or, or contact you on the interwebs or, or check out your social media to see all those cool cars you have, how can they find you out there? Honestly, the best way would probably be through Instagram. Just my Instagram user is at K-N-Z-O. Super short, super simple, four letters, hard to forget. Um, I'd say that would be the personally the best way. And then, you know, if someone's actually inside a program, 
then we do all of our communication through Telegram, which I feel like I'm very response, responsive in there. Cool, cool. All right, well, well, Kenzo, thank you so much for joining us. We, we'd love to reach out to you maybe maybe in a year or so and see uh, like what new cars you've got in your garage <laughs> and, and how you've, uh, you've grown your, your business even further. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Bradley. I appreciate you having me on here, and I hope you have a super blessed week. Thank you.